0: You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with us, Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics, that's me. You know, fruit flies share 60% of our genetic makeup and nematodes, which are a roundworm, have 75% of the similar DNA-ism humans. When you get up to mice, you're jumping to 92% and chimpanzees are 98% biosimilar. This biosimilar menagerie all progressively makes better research subjects as you move up the ladder. Because say you have a crazy theory that aging is not a thing, but it's a reversible disease. You might try different experiments on easy to find creatures like these. And you might try something like red wine, because resveratrol is an active ingredient that actually can reverse aging, as we found. And you may remember a few years ago that it came out that red wine is good for you. So Pinot sales doubled overnight. That was as a result of the research of our guests today. So, today's guest created that demand. Now, there's similar news that'll be coming out about NAD, NMN, which is Nancy Mary Nancy, and DHEA, and even metformin, which is a pathway opener for acceptance of insulin and diabetics. And these, while these are all promising age reversal strategies, the problem is it's hard to get these because you don't know how to buy them in a pure form. They're not a pharma grade form out, now, out today if you were to go on Amazon. And there's another called rapamycin. Again, you can go spend the bundle on rapamycin and know what quality you're getting, or you can go lick the ground on Rapa Nui, better known as Easter Island. But that's a pretty risky strategy. So, there's a big problem to reversing aging is number one, it's not a cure yet. It's just being, it's under study, but it's extremely promising. And today, I'm proud to announce you a best selling author of Lifespan, a book that was introduced to me as the most important in the last decade by Peter Diamandis, who is the co founder with Ray Kurzweil of Singularity University. Dr. David Sinclair is an entrepreneur and a true world class leader in aging research. He's a tenured professor of genetics at Harvard, co-director of the Paul F. Glenn Center for Biology of Aging Research at Harvard, and he's best known for his work on genes and small molecules that delay aging, including sirtuin genes, resveratrol, we talked about earlier, and NAD precursors. Uh, Dr. Sinclair has published over 170 scientific papers. He's named in over 50 different patents, and he's co-founded 40 biotech companies mostly centering around the era of aging, vaccines, diabetes, fertility, cancer, and biodefense. And he works with not only national defense agencies and NASA, but he's received 35 honors, including Time Magazine's list of the 100 most influential people in the world a few years ago and the top 50 in healthcare last year. David Sinclair, welcome to our show. Hey, thanks, Ron. Appreciate it. The premise of getting you on the show is that we want to see clinically enacted all of what you're researching once we know that the uh, medical research is behind it, that we have um, proper studies, evidence-based studies. And where are you now in terms of getting your ideas out into the marketplace with what you've discovered?
1: Uh, well, there are, there are a dozen or more uh, companies working on various aspects of uh, age-delaying medicines. Uh, typically, we, we go for diseases of aging or even rare diseases, Um, the reason being that, as you mentioned, aging is not a treatable condition yet, at least it's not considered one. Uh, Personally, I'm involved in uh, a couple of companies that are working on medicines that may delay, uh, and in in one case, uh, reverse uh, aging quite, if it works, quite dramatically. Uh, How far are we away? Well, you could argue that there are already medicines you've mentioned, rapamycin, uh, there's metformin, uh, which is the diabetes drug. These are drugs that uh, show a lot of promise in animal studies and even looking at hundreds of thousands of patients. in the case of Metformin, uh, a lot of promising uh, associations with protection from diseases such as cancer and heart disease and Alzheimer's and even frailty. So you could really you could argue that we may already be here. There are things we can do. There are certain, certainly things we can do in our daily lives besides take those medicines that would uh, close to undoubtedly uh, slow down aging. The drugs that are in development, uh, some are in uh, phase two, which means uh, they're still about three to four years away. Uh, some are just entering human trials. Um, so yeah, there's a pipeline and they're, they're coming online. Some fail, of course. Biotech is never a sure thing going from a mouse to a human. Um, but, you know, we're in a world where it's not just a, a theory anymore. It's actually here.
0: Well, so you picked up a 50-plus-year-old theory that aging is not a state of life. It's actually a reversible disease. And I, I've never re- recommended a book to our listeners before, but I'm going to recommend your book, Lifespan, t- and to get it in audio form because to hear you, David, tell about your discoveries, it's almost like you were reliving them again when the mouse, the, I'm going to call it super mouse or mighty mouse, not only ran further than any mouse had run before, but the, it broke the machine. It literally broke the wheel because it went past like three kilometers. Can you tell that story? Because it was so fun to hear you tell it on the
1: audiobook. Yeah, it was it was great uh, to live through that. And actually, one of the, the great things about the book, um, as, as you're saying, is as I was writing it, uh, we were fortunate to make these amazing discoveries. So I wrote them down on the page. And so it's it's rare that, that the public gets to see what it's like to be a scientist. Um, so this particular experiment was taking old mice, which were uh, two years old. And they don't run very well on little treadmills that we have in the lab. And we gave them NMN in their water supply uh, for that for those four weeks. Then we put them on a treadmill side by side. And a typical mouse would run about one, if they're lucky, two kilometers before they get really tired and full of lactic acid and their, their muscles are burning, they want to stop. Uh, we had mice that, old mice that were running, uh, two and a half and one mouse, it passed the three kilometer, uh, mark and the software had not been written to, uh, for a mouse that would ever run that far cause that was considered impossible. And here it happened. And actually the, the scientist, young scientist who was doing the experiment called me up screaming, saying, I can't believe the mouse had, had broken the treadmill. Um, and we, we hadn't realized it was a software issue. But nevertheless, uh, it just shows you that um, old age is, in many ways, uh, reversible.
0: So you said in the book, and you said in speeches, I heard you at the Exponential Medicine Conference in San Diego, that not only is aging reversible, but you said there's going to come a time, perhaps in the next 10 or 15 years, when a cream or a pill or a vaccine or some other substance is going to allow you to actually reverse ages up to 20, 22 years. Do you,
1: um, can you explain that? Yes, sure. The, uh, so we, we, in my lab, have a, an, a theory called the information theory of aging, which says that our bodies are losing information over time, and not, not so much genetic information in our DNA, but the, the next level of code, the software of our bodies, uh, which we call the epigenome. And we can now take blood samples of mice and even of people and tell them how old they are, actually biologically, not how many birthdays they've had, which is a rough guide. And also quite accurately predict when somebody's going to die, uh, assuming that they they cross the street carefully. And that actually is is a huge breakthrough in itself to be able to say objectively, this is how old a tissue is or a blood sample is. Now, that epigenome, which are the structures that tell a cell its identity brain cells have to stay brain cells for 100 years in some cases. How does that happen? That's the epigenome. Because remember, every cell in the body has this, essentially the same genome. So this epigenome information is lost over time. So why is that relevant to age reversal? Well, we've made a discovery that we hope to publish in the next few months that shows that a particular gene combination in a gene therapy is able to reverse that information loss. Somehow, there's a backup copy of that epigenetic information. And essentially, when we give that gene therapy, uh, say to a a mouse who is blind from old age, if we deliver those into the eye, we can reverse the age of the retina and the nerves come back to life and they aren't just acting young, they are literally now young again and the mouse gets its eyesight back completely. Um, in, in almost all cases, it works for glaucoma. It works for uh, damaged optic nerves. Now that's a proof of principle. It could be applied not just to the eye, but of course to, to every possible tissue in the body uh, of a mouse and eventually a human. And that's why I think it, it could be. It could be many years. It could be decades. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter so much, except the fact that we've proven the principle that there is a backup copy of youth in, in, our, in animal cells and almost certainly in our own.
0: So theoretically, a 50-year-old woman, according to this theory, might be able to reverse her age to 30. Now it's not an overnight, uh, you know, you look in the mirror and you're suddenly, you look 20 years younger. This is a, gen- a gradual thing. But she would have the darker hair, she would have the younger skin, her neuroplasticity in her brain would be back to where it was when she was 30 she would have a ability to, um, her, her organs would basically generate back to their healthier state. Um, her eyesight would revert back to its healthier state. Uh, is that all possible in the future? You think?
1: Uh, well, we will see. There have been reports of things that we regard as irreversible, such as gray hair becoming Brown or black again. So that there's the, there's the capability, the body actually can heal itself and recover far better than we think it can in my view. Now, uh, I don't think it's going to be overnight um, that we'll have these drugs, or, or even that they will work overnight. Uh, we we typically see results of vision reset takes about two to three weeks. Um, so that's that's pretty interesting, right? That it's only a few weeks of treatment, and when we do a clinical trial, uh, we're expecting to see improvement in vision just in a matter of a few weeks. But you know, I, I couldn't promise that. Somebody's gonna suddenly, uh, in a few weeks, go back 20 years. But what I can say is that just two, three years ago before we'd made these discoveries, that was considered ridiculous, impossible. How could you even say such a thing? And now, at least we have some evidence that it's theoretically possible.
0: You um, stated in your book that you have the heart of a 20-year-old. And you're not 20 years old, are you, David?
1: No, I turned 50 um, I'm getting as old as everyone else on the planet. Uh, but yeah, I've had myself tested over the years. Um, I'm curious. I'm a scientist. I, I measure, um, with, you know, biometrics. I do blood tests. Look at my blood sugar, my heart. It was, uh, it was 3d rendered by a friend here at Harvard. And yeah, I mean, it's so far so good. Things seem to be on track. Uh, my father who's 80 is stronger and fitter than me. So it is possible. Uh, to be younger than your actual uh, birthday candles would suggest, um, but that's not clinical proof, of course. You know, these are anecdotes, and I'm trying to learn things ahead of uh, you know clinical trials, which take a long time and cost many millions of dollars. Um, so I'm not I'm not going rogue. In case anybody, uh, any of my colleagues are listening, uh, but I'm trying to learn things that would be useful to guide medical research and test hypotheses rigorously.
0: It is a little bit unusual to come out with a book about lifespan that's really got a giant movement behind it and a lot of people going online using your face to sell their products even though they're doing it without your permission. I know you've got a healthy budget for legal to stop people from using your name, but there are people that are following you and believing that they can reverse age with uh, selling hacks, huck- really huckstering uh, products on Amazon. Um, you're pretty involved with putting a stop to that, aren't you? That's a big problem.
1: Yeah, thanks for mentioning that, uh, because it's it's very easy for someone to get the impression that I'm trying to make money off this science. I'm, I'm not. I'm trying to make medicines, and I don't sell any products, period. I don't make any money off products, period. Um, so yeah, you go online, and there are a lot of people using my quotes, my name. There's even companies using my name. Uh, there's you know, Sinclair Labs, for example. But yeah, so I, I am, I'm sending out cease and desist letters. Pretty uh consistently sometimes I get the, a reply uh, that uh, I had one actually a few days ago that said oh i didn't I didn't know uh, David sinclair's name was was trademarked nor his image well you know, we'll fight that one but that's the attitude of people out there uh you know all of my hard work and reputation is apparently fair game for some people do you um, can you speak to
0: when you started this? movement, and I don't know if it's age reversal or age extension that you call it, but how many labs now are following you around the world that are what we would, what you would consider world class labs and world class researchers that are now studying this, whether it's with mice or chimpanzees or whether with it's with uh, nematodes, I think yeast, you do some research in that. What, who, what type of uh, community do you have now looking at hardly, you know, uh, taking a hard look into this research?
1: When I started uh, in the early 1990s, there were just uh, maybe five labs around the world that were world-class doing this kind of research, the genetics of aging. And uh, and we've discovered a fair number of longevity genes. The sirtuins are a major class of those. There are others, one called uh, TOR, another one called AMPK. So I don't want to start out by saying, uh, everyone's following me. I'm, I'm part of a, a rebellious group from uh, 30 years ago. But that over those 30 years, the number of labs have grown, oh, probably to 5,000 now from just a handful, uh, and working on various, various problems, whether it's uh, human clinical trials, g- genetics of humans, all the way back to still studying yeast cells and plants. Uh, and, but it's, it's all coming together, actually. What I'm finding, uh, which is really quite rewarding, is people studying the plant world are discovering that the molecules that plants make, such as resveratrol are healthy for us for reasons that um, they're activating these longevity pathways. We also have people studying, um, well, olive oil and uh, and other molecules that come from plants that activate these sirtuins. We have genetic variants in our bodies, so the the sirtuin genes are different between you and me, and well, presumably between you and me, and that gives us seemingly different uh, rates of aging as well. So yeah, it's, it's a super exciting time. In terms of uh, looking back at history, it would be the equivalent of, uh, so the Wright brothers have, have built a plane, they're flying around, and now there's a lot of people uh, building different planes and figuring out how to how to build a, a jumbo jet. Do you, um, did you, I'm sure you're aware of the blue zones
0: theory that uh, there's five or six zones in the world where people live to 120 regularly and in large numbers, and it has to do with lifestyle and family connection and food and, and, and hydration and sleep. But uh, do you subscribe to the theory that we're, our soils are being depleted so people aren't getting the proper mineral content they need in their foods?
1: Um, no, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm an expert, so I, I can't um, judge it. Um, I, I do think that that probably the biggest thing that people do in blue zones is they eat less often. Um, then the second most important one, in my view, is um, the type of foods they eat and these Um, molecules I just mentioned. We call them xenohormetic molecules, the ones that activate our body's defenses. Um, As for minerals, I think it's uh, probably better left to the experts in that to be able to say for sure. Okay,
0: but you are a fan of intermittent fasting and whatever that entails.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, there's no question that we eat too often and obviously too much. Um, Nutritionists have said probably for the last 30 years that we don't want to stress the body. So we constantly uh, are eating small meals throughout the day. The science says that that's not helpful. Now, there might be medical conditions where it is, but for that, for an average person who's middle-aged, even older, um, being constantly fed and never feeling hungry uh, really just makes sure that our longevity genes don't fight against aging and our bodies are complacent. And we've the field has studied this for the last 50 years. So it's really not really a a question anymore. Um, and I'm, I'm actually encouraged that um, the general population is, is getting this information. And I, I also try to skip meals every day, I, I don't eat breakfast, uh, and I try to skip lunch if I can. Okay.
0: Um, so, I told my son, who's a first year gastroenterologist in his fellowship at Harvard, uh, he's, he's at Beth Israel next to you there. Um, that I was taking NAD and NMN and resveratrol and, and uh, DHEA, and he, he looked at me like I was crazy. He said, Dad, don't take that stuff. He goes, it's not proven yet. It's not been uh, tested. He said, you know, when, when you're doing that, you're turning yourself into a lab rat, and that's not a very good – you're not a good, a good experiment subject. He said, quit doing that. Um, I probably should listen to my son, but I, I am taking it every day because I'm excited by your book and excited by the opportunity, but I also recognize it's not pharma grade.
1: Right. Uh, well, th- there are two attitudes uh, or t- two ways to go about this. Um, I mean, of course, you want high-grade material, anything that you put in your body, you want to be able to trust. Um, and that's often um, difficult. I-, I-, I fully appreciate that um, there's different grades of material that you have can ac- have access to. The other thing, um, though, is that you can take the attitude that let's wait till something's proven. Um, but in the case of aging, um, you know, it's similar to uh, if you have cancer, I, I truly believe that aging is a medical condition. It's just something that's very common, but still something we should address. It's not just because it's natural, we should leave it alone. We used to think that about cancer. Uh, but yeah, getting to the point, the, the idea that we should wait till this is all proven, uh, that's probably 30 years away. Uh, and I don't know how old you'll be, Ron, in 30 years, but it's going to be too late for me. Um, so, if we're going to be able to benefit from the science that's come out over the last 20 years, we have to take some risks. And it's not for everybody. I certainly don't want anybody to live any longer than they want to. Uh, but bear in mind, you know, something. Look at my father, who's 80. He hasn't got 30 years to wait. No way. Um, so that's that's why I think that it's certainly a personal choice, but. It doesn't make sense if somebody wants to take um, what I think is a relatively low risk um, and try and avoid what is the inevitable. Because we know all know what's going to happen if we don't do anything different. Mm-hmm.
0: I uh, spoke with a nutritionist about what I'm taking, and she warned me that the DHEA has some estrogen-like qualities if it's going down the wrong pathways in a man, and it uh, it's not something that I need more of as I age because I got... That growing as I get older, um, are some of these things? Are, are there some definitely don't takes with uh, things like DHEA, and maybe consider taking the NAD and the NMN and the
1: resveratrol. So remember, I'm a, I'm a mouse geneticist, so uh, I have to give you that disclaimer. I don't recommend anything. What I can say from my personal uh, experience is, it's very important to monitor yourself. So I, I think if anybody's going to take something like. Uh, an NMN or a resveratrol. It's good to have a blood test beforehand and then follow up, um, you know, whether it's a month or a few months later, just to make sure that their individual metabolism and genetic makeup isn't a problem. You know, Remember, it, it is an experiment, it's a personal experiment, um, and liver could be an issue. But it's extremely rare. Actually, I haven't had any reports or clinical evidence that resveratrol or NMN are are dangerous. Um, Now, there was one study with resveratrol where um, a company gave, I think it was 10 grams of resveratrol a day, which is at least 10 times higher than the dose that I'm taking. Um, And those patients, uh, a few of them had kidney failure. Now, these were end-stage cancer patients that were very sick. Um, But in terms of the regular doses, uh, anything less than a gram, I've never heard of a problem. And there have been oh, probably a dozen studies now in humans with resveratrol with with no negative side effects. Um, and in fact, in mice, resveratrol is quite effective at preventing and slowing cancer. So with all that said, you know, I'm not saying anything's risk-free, but in terms of compared to some of these drugs like rapamycin, uh, they're relatively low um, danger.
0: Well, the rapamycin is the only thing that is like $300 a gram on the internet. And again, you don't know if you're getting sand flour or sugar or rapamycin itself when you order some of these products but uh, tell us about the rapamycin that seems to be sort of a newer chemical that you're experimenting with what results are you getting with your mice in with rapamycin
1: the there are three main longevity regulatory uh we call networks or gene genes Uh, we talked about the sirtuins which are responsible for the the defenses um that go up when you raise NAD. Okay, so just to recap, the mice that had that Nmn um, raised the NAD, and the sirtuins were protective uh, in that in that system. The two others are one is AMP kinase, which is uh, acted upon by the drug metformin, which I mentioned earlier, uh, and then the third one, which we're going to talk about now, is called Tor, or in our bodies, it's mTOR, mammalian Tor, and it exists to sense how much protein is available. And when protein levels are low in the body, the body hunkers down and tries to survive, similar to when it has low NAD or low energy. And uh, so in many animal studies, uh, mostly done outside my lab, so I'm, I'm now just uh, talking about other, other labs research, but rapamycin has been the most effective drug to slow down aging and extend, not just mean but or average, but maximum lifespan in everything from um, yeast cells through to mice, and there's even evidence in dogs that it's effective for uh, protecting the heart. But it's, an, it's a drug that in also inhibits the immune system. It's given to transplant patients, uh, and it does have some kidney toxicity um, at higher doses. Uh, and so th- for that reason, it's a very potent drug. That, that reason most people uh, don't take rapamycin in an abundance of caution that it might do some damage as well.
0: So in the Torah, it says, if may you live to be 120, that's one of the nicest compliments you can get from somebody. Um, Do you think it's possible that you and my children might see 120 as a reasonable lifespan to live? And, And what are the implications of that about retirement and work life and work span?
1: Right. Well, already children born today are expected to live on average. So half of them will make it to 104. In Japan, it's 107. So our children are already going to likely make it there, especially if they look after themselves and just do the right things. They exercise. They don't eat too much. They don't smoke. They get good sleep. Uh, the usual good things that we all know, they eat the right foods. Um, but if, but by the time they're old, uh, you know, let's say 40, 50 years in the future, the technologies will be incredible. Think about how little we knew going back 50 years from today. So, yeah, it's hard to predict the future, but we always underestimate how quickly things change and that the longer we live, the more medical treatments we can have. Already, the, if we live for an extra year, we get another three months of life. Uh, and so, yeah, you just want to live longer and longer. Can we make it to 120? Um, I don't see any reason why we cannot. There's no law that says we have to die. It's just that we haven't all been optimizing our bodies But with the combination of monitoring devices that we can wear on our wrists, uh, the lifestyles that we now genuinely believe will extend lifespan, and the medicines and supplements that we're learning are useful, I think that we could break the barrier. Now, 120 is our maximum known lifespan. But those people that made it to 120, they didn't look after themselves. They didn't do all the right things. So I think it's quite possible. Now can we all live that long? I don't know, I think our children have a great chance. For us, I think we have some work to do. It has huge
0: implications for the government writing checks to social security retirees for 40 to 45, 50 years. It has implications for your working career is no longer 40 years and you're no longer useful at 65, but it, you're gonna be useful until you're 85, 95 perhaps. So they're not gonna be, uh, you know, drummed out of a company because of age, because you've got a lot of good years left and all that experience. So uh, it really has huge implications for workforce and for our economy and our federal budget.
1: Well, we already, uh, quote unquote, waste a lot of money um, taking care of people who shouldn't be sick. There are ways uh, to live healthy for longer. And that money already takes up 17% of our GDP. Now, what we need to do is to keep people healthier for longer. And what you get with that uh, is a boost in GDP. We've, we've run the numbers. Uh, it goes up quite dramatically, and, and the savings are in the trillions of dollars um, every year, actually, across the globe. And that's money that can be put to other things, uh, you know, education um, and uh, even better health care. So I'm, I'm bullish on this. I think that in the future, when people look back at today, when people expect to be healthy in their 80s and 90s and 100s, they'll wonder why we, we took so long to get onto this problem. Very interesting.
0: Well, David, if people want to find you, how do they reach you to learn more?
1: Uh, well, I'm on social media. So uh, Twitter is David A. Sinclair. Instagram is David Sinclair, PhD. And I also, I also have a newsletter. So I update my book uh, because, of course, things are going on. So, yeah, people can reach me at uh, lifespanbook.com. And that's where my, my monthly newsletter is that uh, will keep everybody updated.
0: Thank you for your time. Last question, if you could fly a banner over America to give a message to Americans, what would that message be?
1: Uh, well, I would say that uh, that their health, their future health is in their hands and that only 20% is genetic and the other 80% is up to how they live their lives. And if there's one recommendation I could give that would undoubtedly give people extra five or 10 years of healthy life, it is to eat less often. Wonderful.
0: Thank you for your time, David. We really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.